we try to find as many things as we can off the field to get these guys together. And that challenge is certainly one of the things I look forward to every year. And what, what can we do this year that we haven't done before? Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode of AOTC is brought to you by Baseball Cloud, the official voice of data. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. And this provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. The future of recruiting and player development is here. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell. Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Now, on today's show, we have the head coach for St. Thomas Aquinas, Troy Cameron. Troy is in his fifth year as the head varsity coach there and is currently coming off a 2018 8A Florida State Championship. He is also an alumni of Aquinas, and in June of 1997, Troy was selected by the Atlanta Braves in the first round, 29th pick overall. In this episode, I talk with Troy about his past professional baseball experience, how Troy and Aquinas give back to the community, and Troy shares his tips on how he develops a killer training program for his team on and off the field. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Troy Cameron. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Now, uh, give us a little bit about your background before you get started. I know that you played in pro ball a little bit, but our listeners would love to hear, you know, where you're at currently and how you got to where you are today. Oh man, that's tough. Uh, God, I yeah, usually don't like that. Anyways, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm coaching at St. Thomas. A little tough talking about myself, but I coach at St. Thomas Aquinas down in Fort Lauderdale, and. Uh, Fortunately, it was a school I got to go to, and uh, kind of where my baseball career really started blossoming as a player. I got to play with some really amazing, uh, talented players when I was a younger guy at St. Thomas, which which propelled my baseball career, and, and, and I felt like that competition really got me a lot better. I was fortunate. My senior year of high school, I had signed a, a national letter of intent to play at Florida State. Uh, then I ended up not going there. I was I was, I was drafted in the first round by the Atlanta Braves in 1997 and then kind of decided to take that leap of faith of, you know, my journey towards the big leagues and hopefully making it to the big leagues. And, uh, I got to chase the dream for nine years, the minor leagues at every level, but, but the one that counts, the one that's on TV, but in the long run, it was, uh, it was something that an experience that I would not change for the world. Uh, it certainly gave me the experience, the knowledge. But now I get to give back as a coach, coaching back at my alma mater, which is St. Thomas Aquinas. No, that's awesome. And you guys uh, run a decent athletic program over there. We're fortunate. Yeah, we uh, the athletic program's always been great. Uh, I, like I said, I graduated from there in 1997. Uh, our girls' soccer team has been national champs, I want to say, four or five times. You know, our football team now has gotten to a national level where they're competing for national uh, championships. They won a couple a few years ago. Uh, our baseball program has been always, has always been very good. You know, I'm fortunate to kind of carry that on now as, as the head coach, which I take a lot of pride in because I was a player. We won a state championship in 1995, my sophomore year. And mm-hmm. 
got to do it last year as a coach and win a state title, which is, you know, we've got three state titles now in the program and fortunate to be part of one as a player and part of one as a coach. So our tradition, our history uh, for the school is pretty mind boggling in terms of some of the athletes that have come through there in all the different sports. No, and, you know, as I was prepping for this the other day, there, we were watching Monday Night Football, and, you know, a stat came up of most high school uh, NFL players, or where do they come from in most high schools, and St. Thomas Aquinas led with, set, like, 17. Yeah, it was actually 17. And so, and the reason I ask is that it's, whenever you've got so many good sports programs, does that, do you guys kind of iron sharpen iron with, with all of, all of the different ones and they kind of push you guys and you got guys kind of push everybody else as well? Yeah. You know, it's, it's sports, right? It's competitive. So Mm -hmm. even when you have programs within a school and one school's been, you know, one sports really setting the the bar high in terms of, you know, achievement level, uh, you want to, you want to do what you can and do your part and try to bring your program to that same level. And I'm very fortunate to be at that school. The talent that I get that comes to my school and that I get to coach, it makes me look like a little bit better coach than what I probably <laughs> am. So, you know, it's fun. It really is. And, and we're, we're dealing with some amazing kids, some amazing academic kids. Uh, I'll brag a little bit real quick because I've never been part of an academic award my whole life. And so I started coaching and the last three years, my team uh, won the, if you want to call it state title, won the state title for the highest GPA of any 8A baseball team in the whole state of Florida. They won it two years in a row. And last, last year we finished second. So the, the last three years are, our kids have definitely, put the work in in the classroom and it's and it's shown by by getting you know academic awards as a team which is which is a pretty amazing thing and like i said i'm fortunate that I'm, i get to be the coach of the team you know because i've never won an academic award mm-hmm. until these guys started you know so it's it's nice to be a part of it oh definitely now we are you know going throughout the fall and so let's go ahead and, and start with what you guys are doing this time of year you know how are you you've got you said we, we were speaking off the mic a little while ago and you said you've got almost 100 players so what are you doing like what like I'm thinking of man I don't know what the heck I would do and and you did mention you've got several coaches to help but talk to us about what a typical week looks like for you guys yeah our fall our plans for our fall program changed a little bit last year uh, we have a lot of kids that come out now our fall program the way that it, it it's ran in Florida is you're considered a club team. So we're not, what do you call it? We're not governed by the school. We're not Mm -hmm. uh, funded by the school. It's basically a club team. You can't have any uh, relation to the school in terms of uniform and stuff like that. We have to rent the school facility to be able to use it. Hmm. So if you play a different fall sport like football, you cannot play fall baseball. So right now I have all the kids that don't play another fall sport. So I want to continue to play baseball, continue to get better, and obviously increase their chances of making a team in the spring when it's the season. Mm-hmm. And last year, our school uh, put in a turf field for baseball and softball. So last year during the fall, we didn't have a field to do tryouts for fall baseball. Hmm. So what we ended up doing was anybody and everybody that wanted to be a part of fall baseball, we kept them. We let them sign up. We did about a month and a half, almost two months of weights and conditioning. 
which uh, Ronnie Milo, who's our, our weights and conditioning coach, who is a friend of mine that I grew up playing Little League with since we were, uh, oh man, seven, eight years old. He, um, he's very knowledgeable in that space. He works with a bunch of different programs and te- and weights and conditioning for athletes. So we had a, a weights and conditioning program last year that we've never had before. And we had to do something because we didn't have a field. So being that we kept everybody last year and we were able to do a weights and conditioning program, where we weren't really on the field. And then all of a sudden we got the field towards the end of fall. And then we had about a month left of fall after that was over with that we actually got on the field. So we really only had about a month last year of fall baseball on the field. And then we went out and we had a very successful year. We felt like the weights and conditioning really helped our kids in the spring, staying healthy, staying strong throughout the season. And, you know, we just had one of those magical years where we won the state championship. Our kids played amazing. Uh, we, we ended up nationally ranked, you know, in the, in the what, I think, 11th or 12th. It, it, we just we just had one of those years. So when we came back from fall this year, all the coaches talked me into it. Like, look, we can't do cuts. We got to do exactly what we did last year. It's <laughs> awesome. So fast forward to today, I got 105 kids in fall ball, and uh, it is very challenging every day. Our weights and conditioning program has been amazing again. That Ronnie has been running for us and. We've got another couple of weeks left. We go up until Thanksgiving, and then we give them a little break. And then they come back uh, January 28th, first day of tryouts, and then they compete to make a team. So right now, we've got 105 kids. Between our three teams, we have two JV teams and a varsity team. We'll keep about 60 to 65. So, you know, we're looking at cutting about 40% of the guys that are out there currently, not to mention some of the guys are going to filter over um, that are playing a different fall sport right now. Understand. Now, with the restrictions in Florida, are you guys able to do any sort of baseball activity? Yeah, there's so there is no restrictions. As long as you're compliant as a club team, hmm. you can you can you can do you can play as many games as you want. You can do as much practice practicing as you want. Obviously, you just you've got to have insurance and you've got to have a schedule, and you just you can't you can't be named anything that has to do with your school. So okay. we're out there practicing. I got my varsity guys out there every Monday and Wednesday. I've got my JV guys out there every Tuesday and Thursday. Weights and conditioning is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So they have Friday and the weekend off and during fall. And right now, for the I mean, we started in the beginning of September. All we do is positional, individual work. And then the last hour of practice, uh, we do BP. So every day we hit BP. Every day we do individual, uh, positional, fundamental, and instruction for about 45 minutes to an hour. And, and that's kind of what makes up our fall prog- program right now. It's just, these kids play so many games in the summer mm-hmm. with no practice in. You know, they don't really need to play many more games in the fall. They, they, need, to, they need to start learning how to play the game so that they can get better that way and, and a little bit less games. Understand. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, academics is a huge pillar in your program. And so talk to us about what you guys do to make that a priority. And, you know, talk to us about how you really do any team or leadership building, especially when you've got that many kids. 
uh, just trying to get to know them and trying to help them get to know each other. You know, what's your process going through that? Yeah, from an academic side, we've got two of my coaches that are on the varsity staff. Uh, one of them is uh, Ed Waters, who has been at the school for 40, I think it's 43 years now. Um, he actually was my coach when I went to school there. So he's a teacher, he's a history teacher at St. Thomas. And then I've got Joey Wardlow, who is the health teacher at St. Thomas. So those guys really helped me a lot when it comes to the academic side of it, because they're able to pull grades. We're able to keep close tabs on which guys need help. Uh, we've got some really, really smart kids on the team. So when other kids need a little bit of help and they need some tutoring, we've got plenty of kids on our team that have helped our other guys throughout the years. So we just make it known, like, look, if you guys are struggling in a certain you know, in a certain subject, let us know, let your teammates know. I'm sure there's somebody out here that actually happens to be really good in that subject and they can, they can help you. And you don't have to worry about signing up for a tutor through school and get somebody you're not comfortable with or something like that. We've got plenty of guys out here that can help. And we've had our guys tutoring and helping each other uh, every year. And, uh, you know, it, fortunately it's, it's been good. Our kids have been so good in the classroom that we haven't had too many situations where kids were just really, really struggling and, you know, it got out of control. All of our kids are, are pretty good in the classroom. Now being a private school, do they have to take like an entrance entrance exam to get into the school? Yes. There's a, there's an entrance exam that is, so we're a Catholic school. We're run by the Archdiocese of Miami. Okay. And there is a entrance exam for Catholic schools. So we host an entrance exam at St. Thomas, but it's not specific to St. Thomas. It's the Catholic school entrance ex- exam that you can take at any Catholic school, and it's good to go anywhere with it. And a lot of the times it's more placement than it is acceptance. But if you know you really bomb the test, Sometimes it's a, it's a little bit challenging to get into the school because there's so many people trying to get in and such a long wait list of people wanting to come to the school that, you know, how you do on the test certainly does help you get in. For sure. Now, with you've got a ton of people in the fall now. It's uh, you, I guess you guys flipped the switch in January, but even with 60, you know, 60 kids, it's it's uh, probably a challenge to be able to prioritize individual development. And so take us through what you guys do for that. I'm fortunate in terms of I've got come spring about 14, 15 coaches uh, that will be a part of the program. And we've got, two, like I said, two JV teams. We used to have a freshman team, a JV team, and a varsity team. But everybody down here got away with the freshman team. Mm-hmm. So our freshman team was always playing JV team. So we just call our freshman team a, J- a JV team. Um, so we've got two JV teams in a varsity. We'll have, you know, three, four coaches per JV team. And then last year on the varsity staff, I think we ended up having like eight or nine coaches at the end of the year. And um, it, it really does help. And the guys that I have out there are all guys that I've known for a very long time. Our pitching coach pitched in, in the minor league system for the Mets for 12 years. My catching coach I actually played with at St. Thomas, and he got drafted out of St. Thomas by the Yankees, and he went on to play with the Yankees and Rockies for six years in the minor leagues. 
the Joey Wardlow, who I talked about earlier, who's a PE and health teacher at St. Thomas. He was an infielder in the Texas Rangers program uh, organization. And then I've got other guys that have been a part of our program for a very long time. Well, Ed Waters, who was my coach, who's been at the school for a long time. He played for the Yankees in, in the minor leagues uh, way back when. And then other guys like Bob Rudock and, and Kevin Rogers, who all played college baseball, are very successful you know, the businessmen. Uh, Bob's a lawyer. Bob's son, Jake, is the backup quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Nice. You know, he's one of the guys that was one of the seventeen that's in the NFL right now. And uh, Kevin Rogers is a big president of a bank down here. So I've got the right help, and I've got enough of the right help to make easy running the varsity program. And it, it allows me to kind of really get a chance to do more with the whole program instead of just focusing so much just on the varsity program. Definitely. And you guys are in an interesting spot and, and you just are coming off a state championship. And so, and so are we. And so my thoughts are, you know, or I want to hear what your thoughts are in trying to keep the kids hungry and not letting them just coast on the fact that, Hey, we won it. We won it last year and we probably have a good shot of winning it again this year or, you know, just getting rid of any mindsets like that. You know what? So what's been your process of coming off a state championship and then going into the fall about to start about to start winter training or whatever and 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 to be able to cultivate that mindset that you want? You know what? That's that's a great question. And uh, first off, congrats to you as well. Maybe when we're done after this season, you and I can kind of compare notes on what worked and what didn't work. (laughs) coming off the state championship, but I'm really big on the whole culture. You know, if you create the right culture and that culture can kind of grow in a direction that you see it and want it to be in every year, you know, you have your chance to put your stamp on it. And I, and I mean that as a senior class. So last year we did a lot of stuff. Like I said, we didn't have a field in the fall last year. So we did a lot of classroom stuff too. And, you know, I was reading that book legacy uh, about the uh, New Zealand All Blacks, mm-hmm. and it, it, the whole book is—it's so interesting. It's got a lot of really, really good things in there, and it talks about culture. It talks about the All Blacks program, how it's such a storied program, but they had gotten away from the success they were used to for a while. And then, how do they get it back? And it really goes into details on some of the things that they did to try to get that back. And you know, one of them's in there saying, uh, "Sweep the sheds. You got to have your." You got to have your top guy that everybody looks up to on your team as, man, this guy's the guy. If he's too good to sweep the sheds or he's too good to pick up the helmet bag, then you're in trouble, you know? And that was one of the things that we were going in the classroom and we were going over a lot of the things I was reading about in the book and trying to relate it to how we could use that for our program, how we could turn around our culture as a program. And you know, I, I knew what I wanted to achieve when I came in six years ago, but I had never coached before. I knew baseball, but I had never coached before. I felt like I had a pretty good chance of being able to relate to kids and communicate with them and stuff like that. But that book really helped me understand, man, we got to get, we have to get this culture. We got to set the culture of what we think it should be. And if we can get a senior class to take that and run with it, then we're on to something. And last year's senior class did exactly that. There was no egos in the bunch. Uh, they took all the younger guys. Uh, we had 10 seniors on the team last year, but we had 
seven sophomores. And out of those seven sophomores, a lot of them played significant time. And those seniors took those, those sophomores under their wing. And not for a second did they ever treat them like a sophomore. They treated them like a teammate. And I feel like if our group of seniors this year can kind of take the baton from the seniors last year and build on that, I think we're on to something. If they don't, and they get a little ego, you know, it's a little bit too much about them and their senior year, then, you know, we'll be back at square one trying to figure out a new group to try to understand what it is that we want them to do and what that culture is supposed to be like, you know, and back at the drawing board. But we'll see. I think we have a good group of seniors this year. It's just a matter of whether or not they learn from last year's group and can kind of take that and, uh, and push forward. No, I love that, and I love that answer, and I also I love that book. That that is definitely on uh, my Mount Rushmore of books that that I've read in my lifetime, and and I think yeah. the the listeners know that that I do love to read. But that's that's a absolutely phenomenal book, and it's got a lot of practical examples. So, uh, you also yep. we we've been talking about your Halloween game this week, and <laughs> and I love that, and that's one of the things that you guys do to build the culture and the team camaraderie. Is there anything else that really stands out when? When someone asks you, you know, or if, if I might as well ask you, what what are some practical ways that you guys do build the culture or, you know, the camaraderie or some different things that are unique to you guys? You know, I look for as many different things that I can do off the field that we do on the field. I love that. We've got we've got a park uh, and we haven't done it. We didn't we didn't do it last year. We'll do it this year. But we have a park that's right down the street from our school. And every Tuesday night, this park like has. I don't know, a hundred food trucks that lines the park, you know? So a couple of years ago, uh, we didn't do it last year, but a couple of years ago, I told the kids, Hey, for tomorrow for practice and bring a, uh, bring a lawn chair, you know, bring a folding chair. And I like, I kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? So we went to go, they stretched and we went to go start practice. I was like, all right, let's go. We're not practicing today. We're going to go over to the park where the food trucks are at. Follow me. And then we just went. Everybody pulled out their chairs. Everybody went and got something to eat. We came back and we sat and we just, we ate and hung out together to try to get that going. Because a lot of these guys know each other and they say they're friends, but they don't know much about each other. So Tim McNabb, our pitching coach, brought this exercise to us the first year. And to this day, every time we do it, it brings me to tears. It's one of the most amazing things we've I've ever witnessed on a baseball field. Every year, it seems to keep getting better and better. But he does an exercise which is called 80-20. And he learned it when he was with the Mets. The pitching coach with the Mets did it with him. Okay. And the exercise is 80% about life, 20% about baseball. So you got to stand up and you got to say, hey, my name is Troy Cameron. My 80% about life is... I've got a five-year-old daughter named Jaden. She absolutely loves coming out here. She thinks all you guys are her big brothers. And it's really special for me because she didn't get a chance to see me play, but she gets a chance to see me coach. And I can't thank you guys enough for giving me that opportunity. And my 20% about baseball is I'm really looking forward to the challenge this year of really getting you guys individually better. But I, I can't wait to get to know you guys more too. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be like a, an example of an 80-20. And it goes around the whole entire, everybody has to stand up and do it. Now, what ends up coming out sometimes is some very personal information that these kids don't share with anybody. And it really gives you a little bit of a better insight where 
you know, kids are always going to be kids and you got a kid that's kind of riding another one on the team. Like, Hey, nice swing. You know, that was a terrible swing. Like just joking around, but might not really know what's going on. And all of a sudden he gets a little bit better insight of what's, what's going on in, in his teammates life. He might not crack that joke. Sure. You know, it might, he might, he might be a little bit more sympathetic to right, this guy's going through a little bit. Let me, let me back off a little bit. Let me, let me see if I can help him. You know? So it's, it's a really neat thing that we do every year with our guys. It always happens somewhere else. Last year it happened in our batting cages. I can sit there and visually remember all of us doing it last year. We had a couple kids that were new to the program and some of the things they said kind of blew me away. So it's one of those things that helps us bring us together as a team. Every year we go on a trip somewhere, somewhere last year, we went to Georgia and Orlando where we stay overnight, you know, and these kids get a chance to be kids and stay in hotel rooms with each other. And we're always looking to do stuff like that. We go to the children's hospital and we've passed out Easter baskets during Easter. We've passed out Christmas gifts where we've collected Christmas gifts during Christmas. So we're always, we're always looking to do different things. We do the, the um, suicide prevention walk every year at Nova Southeastern as a team, as a program, not as a varsity team, as a program. We usually have about 60, 70 kids wearing St. Thomas baseball gear at that because cool. unfortunately we had one of our players uh, a couple of year, uh, years ago get to college and, you know, things got a little tough for him and, mm. you know, he ended his own, he ended his own life. And it, it, so it hits home for us. And we, we do that walk with his family every year. So we try to find as many things as we can off the field to get these guys together. And that challenge is certainly one of the things I look forward to every year. And what, what can we do this year that we haven't done before? Absolutely. Build a better man, build a better baseball player. I'm a firm believer in that. And it sounds like you guys are as well. And, and that's, that's fantastic. I love that. But let's go ahead and uh, let's get into some player development and let's get into what you guys are doing in the spring. And this is kind of a, a blanket question, but let's say we're in the preseason and you guys are getting, you're getting your guys ready to play in a couple of weeks. What would a typical practice plan look for, look like for you and, and how much time would you spend on what? And, you know, I'm a, I love planning practices and I love hearing ideas from different coaches. So just, you know, throw out what you guys would do from, you know, the beginning of practice to the end. And maybe I can steal some ideas from you. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you know, we, we certainly don't reinvent the wheel. Uh, we do a lot. Our practices are very similar structured based on what I remember doing in pro ball. And then try to put a little bit of a high school twist on it, knowing that some of the fundamental things need to be harped on a little bit longer than what I remember um, in pro ball. So, you know, we'll come out. We've got our JV team will practice from three to five. Then we'll come out at five. And uh, obviously we stretch, we run, we throw. We get right into when that's over, we get right into individual. And individual is everybody breaks up in their positions. And we'll get into about a 20-minute individual, whether it's, a ton of ground balls for the infielders or whether or not we're working on double plays that day or whatever it is, we'll pick something very specific in the individual to just pound out for that 20 minutes. And then once we're done with that, we'll go into a team defense and I've got a whole list of things and team defense could be anything from bump coverages and bump plays to first and thirds to double cuts and relays, you know, pickoffs and rundowns, pop-up priorities. We do situations a lot. 
or we'll put the team out there. We'll have another team that's running the bases and then we'll hit it with fungos trying to manipulate what type of situations we want these guys to work their way through. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be once we get about mid season and we get through all of our first and thirds, a good handful of time and our bump play is a good handful of times. Our situations are what we really focus in on because we don't want the game speeding up. If you're not knowing what to do with the ball before it's hit, and all of a sudden as you're running towards it, you're trying to process what are you supposed to be doing, it's a little too late. So with, and I say this, and I don't blame the kids, I just think it's where amateur baseball is today with all of the games that are being played and not enough practicing and teaching of the game. We do that a lot because the majority of the kids don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get a guy on second base and a ball's hit in the gap and the outfielder cuts it off and he throws home. And mm -hmm. it's just like, well, why are we throwing home? You know, like you just let the guy that hit it walk into second base when you had zero chance of throwing the guy out at home. So we really try to go through a lot of that situational stuff so that they start understanding the game better. And, you know, it's pretty neat when the, you got the World Series on or you got the playoffs on, and I've got kids texting me, hey, you watching the game? Did you see what he did right there? You know, so they're, they're starting to watch the games on TV, not as a fan, but trying to learn. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when you know you're starting to get through to them. They're starting to understand a little bit about baseball because, unfortunately, today there's just not enough kids that really understand baseball. And I think it's because of the way that it's all set up. The, the structure of amateur baseball. It's play games, play games, play games, get exposure, play games, go to college, show God. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So we try to focus on that. I got you. Now, what's your BP setup look like? Oh, so, yep. <laughs> so after we do, uh, so we'll go 20 minutes of individual, then we'll get into a team defense that usually takes about a half hour, and that leaves us about an hour left for BP. And we'll have our BP groups and every day there's going to be something different, although it does get repetitive, but one day, you know, the first round might just be hit and run. And then the second round might be just opposite field. And then the third round might be just straight up the middle. And then the next day we might have a round where we're doing opposite field and we might go straight into two Oh three Oh three one, get the head out. Do not foul this ball off the other way. So we'll run them through different situations for BP from a hitting standpoint, uh, just so they can learn how to control the bat. You know, a lot of guys get in there and just hack away and wherever the ball goes, it goes. So we really want them to get an understanding of control controlling the barrel and really being able to off a BP pitcher throwing 50 miles an hour, really be able to control it and, and execute situations. Um, but during BP, We'll have our outfield coach will be in the outfield working with the outfielders. They'll be getting live balls off the bat for majority of it. And our infielders will be taking ground balls. Obviously, that's where all the extra coaches come into play because we'll have fungos. You know, everybody's getting ground balls, fielding balls live off the bat. And a lot of our repetition and extra work gets done during BP. And then we've got two beautiful covered cages down the left field line. We'll have one cage set up with a pitching machine where they're getting their bunts in. And I'm not a big believer in bunting, but I am a big believer in if you're a kid that wants to play at the next level and you're going to go to college so showcases. And if you can't bunt and get a bunt down, regardless if you ever bunt in your life or not, 
you're sending the wrong message to that college recruiter that's sitting there watching. Like you better be able to bunt. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we, we, you know, we'll have one cage practicing on our bunting. We'll have another cage where we're getting some flips, getting extra swings. And, and that pretty much makes up our practice plan at the very end. We'll do some base running for about 10 minutes and then on to the next day. I love it. And I also love, you know, competition and practices and, you know, being at a program like St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm sure there's a lot of individual competition just for playing time, but is there a way that you guys, you know, again, cultivate the competition and practices? Is there any practical examples that you could give for us that, you know, we can steal from you? Uh, you know, it's a lot of our competition starts in the fall, like right now. Cool. So what Ronnie does with our, you know, strength and conditioning program. So every, uh, the Tuesday and Thursday are weight days where Wednesday is a conditioning day. So after the weights are done, we do weights for about an hour. And then after that's done, there's always a competition and that's everybody that's freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors. And it's, it it gets pretty competitive because every once in a while you'll have that freshman be the senior and then a senior can't take it, you know, and he gets all, you know, bent out of shape and, and should never let the freshman beat you, you know? So he'll do, and he's very creative on all these different things that he does based around a weight and conditioning, uh, exercise that they're competing, whether it's holding pull-ups, you know, whether it's, he had them the other day with a, a cone in the middle of them and they were squatted down almost like catchers. And then he would tell them like, you know, your head and they'd have to put their hands on their head and knees and then butt and then shoulders. And then he, he would yell cone at some point during that. And then they, they had to snatch the cone and to see how competitive something so silly got was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, so we get into a lot of that in the fall come the spring it's just a reminder, like, look, you guys made the team, but there's 15 kids, 20 kids that I could have picked in your spot easily because they were equally as talented. And if you're not going to come out here and compete every day, I'll just, I'll go get one of those guys to take your place, you know? And it's, I'm fortunate to be at a program where we have so many kids and it, it stinks on cut day because I'm having to tell, you know, 40 kids, 50 kids, sorry, you didn't make it. And I don't post the list. We call them in, we talk to them, we tell them where they fell a little bit short, what they need to do to get better to make it next year. And if it's a senior, you know, if it's a senior, then it's more we're putting our arm around them saying, look, man, I'm really sorry. It just, you know, it just didn't work out for you. And, and hoping that when he walks out of the room, one, he doesn't think it's personal. And two, he still realizes that, Hey, I don't think those guys cut me because they didn't like me. And there's still, I see them walking down the hall or something like that. They still say hi and not like, Oh, I hate that guy. You know, he ruined my life. Like, I don't, I just hope that when they leave that room, that that's, that's the perception. And that's kind of the feeling they leave with and not, and not the other where, you know, they're upset and they think it was something personal. Cause it certainly is. And it's the worst day of the year for us as coaches to be, tell high school kids, Hey, didn't work out. You know, it's, it is part of the job job description, but at the same time, it doesn't feel any better when you do it. No, definitely. I think that's, you know, that's one of the worst days of the year as a coach for sure. And what do you guys do? This, this is a little off script, but what do you guys do for your tryouts? Because I've really just been around two programs that have tryouts and, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, 
you know, with all the technology that's going on these days, I mean, we're fortunate. We've got a flight scope machine that we're going to integrate into our tryouts this year. Uh, I've been using a lot this fall to really get to to educate myself on what what information that a flight scope machine can take at the high school level that is useful for for us. Mm -hmm. And we'll have that set up during tryouts come in spring. But prior to that, you know, we've used radar guns. So we'll put all the outfielders in right field. We'll have them throw to third. We'll have them throw to home. We'll have half the guys, half the coaches will be doing evals on arm strength. The other half will be doing evals on footwork. And then we'll have a guy with a radar gun that's just taking down actual numbers. So we get into our meetings we can kind of go back and look at some of the data we were able to collect with just a radar gun and stopwatches and whatnot. And if there's anybody that we just don't know what to do with, maybe that'll help clear it up. But there's also guys where it really, you can see the separator where they're just not there at the same level as the other guys, you know, based on, on that data. So we'll put the outfielders in right field, let them throw to third and home. We'll put uh, most of the infielders at short, I do like to put my second baseman at second because a lot of second basemen in high school are second basemen just because their arm strength hasn't developed as mm-hmm. much yet. True. But some of those guys can still turn a good double play. And if you can turn a good double play, that makes up for arm strength for me. So we'll put most of the guys at short. We'll put the second basemen over at second. We'll let them field ground balls. Your typical one at you, one to the backhand, one to the, to your left and then a slow roller. And then we'll do some double plays to see some actions on double plays. So we'll do that for the infielders. Pitchers will throw a 20 pitch bullpen uh, on the first day and second day we split them in half. And then on the third and fourth day, the guys that threw the first day will throw to live hitters. They'll throw 25 pitches to a live hitter and we'll have five different hitters go in for five pitches. Uh, And we'll be taking radar and, and other you know, data stuff that we can. Now, obviously, with the flight scope machine, we'll be able to take a lot more. And then we'll um, have all the pictures throw on that, that Wednesday and that Thursday. And then Friday, we, we pick the team. And then after that, we get right into it because we play a game a week and a half later after oh, wow. the team's picked on that Friday. So it, they don't leave us much time from the first day of tryouts to actually getting the season started. A lot of programs down here We'll have the team already picked from the first day of tryouts, which is January 28th. Fortunately, unfortunately, we can't do that because we have so many kids that come out. So a lot of the programs that don't have as many kids come out, they already know what their team is and they start practicing right away where we kind of lose four days of practice by having tryouts. But I'd rather have that problem than have the issue of not enough kids. Sure. Now let's go ahead and talk to your talk about your personal development. And you know, you you mentioned that you'd never coached before before becoming a coach there, and and so I, mm-hmm. this is a great question for you. So, what do you wish you'd known before you took your first head coaching job? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's I took over for a guy that was a great guy, really good coach at St. Thomas, had a lot of success, won a state title and whatnot. And one of the reasons why he had, had been let go. And then when I came in was, uh, that there was zero communication between him and the parents. And whenever there was issues or complaints, 
those parents would end up going to the administration with it. And he had coached for 12 years. So I guess that after, you know, 12 years, everybody's going to complain mm-hmm. when their kid's not playing. And I guess it just got to a point where those complaints kind of mounted up and the administration just didn't want to hear them anymore. I felt like a change needed to be made. And then that's when I, that's when I came in and took over. And uh, first thing I said, I was like, look, parents, my door is always wide open. You have any complaints, come to me. Don't go to the administration. Don't go to the athletic department, you know, come to me and we'll, uh, you know, we could have a sit down and we'll talk through it and, and we'll see what the, what the real issue is. And what I didn't know was the phone call, and the text messages at two o'clock in the morning when parents felt like that was the appropriate time wow. to talk about why their kid's not playing. So I came in trying to change the world and be different. And I didn't put many guidelines on that. So now after having coached for six years, going into my seventh year, my parent meetings are a little bit different. I still tell them, look, my door is always wide open. But, you know, just be respectful of my family and my wife and my five-year-old daughter. Like, let's keep the text messages or phone calls during business hours, not not at 2 o'clock in the morning. And usually I get a couple of chuckles, and then I get a couple of parents like, oh, well, yeah, that probably would have been me if, if <laughs> you know, if you didn't say that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a blast. It's been an amazing ride. I love, I love doing it. I love doing the high school level. The kids are so receptive, and you can see such a big change in terms of them not only on a baseball field, but as growing as, as young men, uh, it's pretty neat to have that type of influence on them. And, you know, and obviously the responsibility is, is why I do it. I love doing it. For sure. And at your parent meeting, are you, do you lay out any rules for, for them? Because I know that it's a huge thing especially today is we want to be able to communicate with the parents. And I know it's a huge thing from the administration standpoint. And so how you, you did mention that you just be respectful of your time, but are there any rules that you lay out for parent communication? You know, one of the biggest complaints that I get, and I'm sure you get it as well is, well, if you just gave little Johnny an opportunity, he would show you what he can do. What parents don't realize is every day is an opportunity. Every practice is an opportunity. Like, Every chance they come out to the field is an opportunity to gain some confidence in your coach to get more opportunities in the game. And majority of the time when a, when a parent starts off by saying something like that, I tell them, come out to practice, come sit in the dugout. I don't care. Like come to practice and observe your kid and watch him compete against the others. And at the end of that week, if you still feel like, that little Johnny deserves more opportunities than the guys that he's competing against every single day, then maybe we're making a mistake. But I can promise you that if you actually talk to little Johnny before you come out, Hey, why, you know, what's going on? Are you at practice? You know, are you competing? A lot of the times parents just jump right away. And like, my kid's not playing, you know, why is he not playing? He should be playing where they don't even talk to the kid first. The majority of the time, the kids, the kids know, like, look, Dad, this guy's doing better than I am right now. I'm I'm going out every day and I'm competing as hard as I can. But right now he's just he's just better than I am right this second. As long as that guy keeps going out and keeps competing for more playing time, you never know what's gonna happen. We had a kid that wasn't our starting right fielder last year. In the beginning of the season, our starting right fielder gets hurt, hurts his back in the um 
the first week of the season and we were kind of like rotating a couple guys in right field. And then all of a sudden the, one of those guys in right field through practice and the way he was going about his business and how he started doing in the games kind of like took the lead on getting more opportunities. He ended up being a first team all County selection by both of our newspapers down here and went on to have an amazing season for us. So it's hmm. awesome. You know, it's the, um, the role, your role on the team can change it any, at any second. And you have to be ready for that. And you have to work for that. If your role is not what you want, you don't have to accept it or like it, but you have to do it to the best of your ability to be able to change what that role is. And if you just kind of throw in the towel and like, whatever, these guys don't know what they're doing. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to work hard because I'm never going to play. Well, then at that point, you've kind of, you've kind of given up and, and you're right. You're never going to play. Definitely. And you know, something that, that I'm trying to do someday, not, I'm not in any rush, but I, you know, I want to be a head coach someday. And, and so how do you, how do you prepare your assistants to be head coaches someday? My, my, my assistants, my staff is what makes us as successful as we are. Like I, I was an infielder. I played infield uh, my whole life. And, and, and as we mentioned earlier, I got a chance to play pro ball as an infielder. Uh, I moved around a little bit during my, my, uh, my days in pro ball. I, I got to play a lot of third and shortstop and second. So I've got a, a good feel for those positions. But when it comes to the outfield or when it comes to catching or when it comes to pitching, I, don't, I, I know very surface-level stuff when it comes to those positions. Fortunately, I've got some amazing, amazing coaches in those positions. So the one thing is me being a head coach is I know I'm only as good as the rest of my guys. And I have such knowledgeable, talented coaches in each position. But when we start practice, I go with the infielders and I don't even think twice about what are the pitchers doing or what are the catchers doing or what are the outfielders doing? Because I know those guys are doing stuff with them that I don't have the knowledge to do. And they're in a lot better hands with those guys. So, you know, I'm fortunate to have the staff that I have that I can just let them go. Go ahead, go teach your guys. I'm going to go teach my guys. We'll meet back up in about 45 minutes for the next part of practice, you know. So that, that really is, for me, that's, that's the key to our, our success is all the guys that we have involved from a coaching standpoint and, and their knowledge that they have is pretty, is pretty awesome. I mean, I got a first base coach, like what high school teams, and I don't mean a first base coach that coaches first base during the game. I mean like a first base coach that coaches just first baseman (laughs) works with them every day on, on picks and works with them every day on footwork, you know? And he was another kid I played with at St. Thomas and he got drafted by the white Sox, and he went on to play pro ball for a while. And it's just, we really got a good group of coaches that really enjoy each other but are very knowledgeable and the kids get to benefit from that. No, that's fantastic. And, and I love that, you know, you're giving them a whole lot of ownership and, you know, being from the, as an assistant, that is always really rewarding whenever a coach asks you to take on something new, you know, especially, you know, the, the ones that are similar to myself who want to be head coaches someday. So I love that, that you're able to do that, but tell us about some of the changes that you're making from last year to this upcoming year. You mentioned that in the fall that you guys didn't have turf at all, which is an interesting mm-hmm. one, but are there, is there anything else that comes to mind whenever you hear that question? It's yeah, every year you're making changes, you know, I, I'll revert back to that book legacy. You know, it, it goes in there to say 
that when you're at the top of the mountain, that's the most important time to make changes. You can't wait until you fall off that top of the mountain. So yeah, we're, we're trying, we're trying to make as many changes. We know we have a different group coming in in terms of what our makeup of our team is going to be. So we're, we're, we're trying to figure out what is our identity as a team going to be? How can we play to those strengths? And, you know, with the, with the technology and the data era that we're in, um, I'm really excited to see how we can really incorporate flight scope and the different stuff that we're, we're learning from that and give these kids a better understanding. All these kids here today are buzzwords. They hear launch angle and exit velocity and, and all this, you know, spin rate and all this other stuff, but they don't understand what any of it means. Like I, I brought all my kids into a classroom and I said, you guys talk about launch angle all the time, but what is Kristen Yelich's uh, average launch angle for 2018 where he's going to be the MVP? And I had them all guess the numbers and they were guessing 25, you know, wow. 28 and, and 19 and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, you guys are way off. His average launch angle for 2018 is 4.7. And they're like looking at me like, what? And then I went into explaining that the highest batting average in the big leagues um, of any launch angle is 12%. Like a, a 12 degree, not percent, 12 degree launch angle in the big leagues has the highest batting average, mm-hmm. which was like 786. I was just going to add, I think JD Martinez is, is actually lower this year and it was at 10 and he had his best year of his yeah. career too. 10.6. You're right. Yep. So, and, and, and JD Martinez would be a guy that you would think tries to lift the ball. And although he denies it, he says he doesn't try to lift the ball. He would be one of those guys because his swing has a little bit of that lift in it. And uh, obviously, he hits a bunch of home runs. Um, but so it's just trying to get these guys to understand what some of these words mean. Like launch angle doesn't mean hit the ball straight up in the air. A line drive is a ball hit in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people are saying getting away from ground balls and stuff like that. Well, that's great. But guess what? You got a guy on third base, and there's there's one out, and the infield's playing back, and we're in a tie game in the sixth inning. You better hit a ground ball. Get that guy in. You know, like. Don't forget to play the game. So, yeah, we're looking forward to kind of taking that flight scope and these kids really getting to understand and teaching off of it. Like, you know, your your exit velocity is 75 miles an hour, so your launch angle needs to be less than 15% if you're going to have any any success or if you want to make a team. You know, so we're we're trying to dive into that, and we want to be – we kind of want to be up to speed with the whole data and analytic era that's going on. But at the same time, we want to give these kids a little bit more of an understanding of what it means and not just keep hearing it on TV thinking they got to be Josh Donaldson and hit the ball, you know, in the air when Josh Donaldson's hitting at a hundred plus miles an hour and these kids are hitting at 70 miles an hour. Right. And, and you're taking, you know, what they do well individually and turning that into a, Listen, this is what you hit. This is where you need to hit to be most successful. So it's not like you're right. you're not telling them not to hit line drives. It's just you're helping them to create an environment that they understand what is making them successful and what is making these big leaguers successful. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, everybody's different. You know, everybody's a different type of hitter. So play to your strengths, and and you know you'll you'll be able to play the game as long as you're meant to play it. Oh, for sure. Now, uh, being a guy that's that's constantly learning, and you've mentioned legacy a couple of times, but uh, what is something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? What have I learned lately that's got me really excited? 
I, I think it's the, the like listening to all of the um, post game interviews after the World Series was over, and how a lot of the a lot of the players talked about one of Cora's strengths were the communication mm-hmm. that uh, the day after Christmas he jumped on a plane and flew. I think to the Dominican Republic to meet with uh, Devers, the third baseman, the day after Christmas, and how that kind of really touched home for for, the, for for Devers that this guy, this new manager, would fly out to go see him the day after Christmas, knowing there's probably a million other things he could have been doing. So, uh, listening to all that, and I feel like I have a pretty good open line of communication with our players. I don't let my players call me coach. Uh, they all call me by my first name and that might be a little something that I learned from pro ball. And, and, and some people might look down upon it because I'm coaching high school kids. I'm not coaching professional players, but you know, my whole take on that has always been, look, I want these kids to get a chance, not only to get to know me and me to get to know them, but I don't want them to feel like they're forced to have to play for me because I'm their coach. I want them to want to play for me. And if I can kind of break that barrier down with them not calling me coach and calling me Troy and kind of making it a little bit more of a warm relationship right out of the gate, I just feel like I have a better chance of getting more out of them. So I just, I think after listening to all that stuff about how the communication and, and stuff with core was, was a big factor in their success with the team that. I'm just really looking forward to how do I further develop my relationship with these kids, not just for the time that they're with me. I mean, I've got kids that have played for me that have now graduated and played college baseball and are now they're done with college baseball. I've got a handful that are in pro baseball. And every time I get a phone call from them or a text from them, it kind of reassures me like they didn't just view me as just another coach. I don't want to be that. And, uh, you know, they, they know that no matter when they call me or when they text me, I'm going to text them back. Or I'm going to call them right back. Or I'm going to answer their phone call that that relationship will always be there. I know some of the managers and some of the coaches I've coached, I've played for, um, Brian Snicker, who's a big league manager in the Braves is, is certainly one of them. Um, Paul Herforth, who was my high school coach for, for my senior year when Ed Waters had left, those guys are just people that I look back and I just want to be that type of coach for somebody else that they were for me. So I think further developing that, that line of communication with my players and the challenge of being able to keep that at a level uh, of maturity for high school kids to understand and not take advantage of is probably what I continue every year to try to further develop and kind of expand on you know I, I just i thought it was really neat how that's what the players were talking about most when it came to cora after winning the world series and it kind of it kind of lit that flame under me like i gotta i gotta get better at this i know i, I feel like i'm pretty good at it now but i gotta i gotta continue to get better at this so i mean that's probably it definitely and you know being a red sox fan it was almost like they it was the complete opposite of what john farrell had done and and so it was it was interesting to see the transition and you know the difference between last year's team which got swept by the Astros and this year's team. You know there there wasn't a whole lot of player changes. There was a couple, but they all I think like you mentioned and you you hit the nail on the head. They all mentioned how big of a 
big of a piece that Alex Cora was just by based on his communication skills and helping them to to feel comfortable in all of their different roles. And no, he's definitely an inspiration. And to to go in there and and do that in your very first year, I, you know, I think that's that's uh, tremendous. Yeah, I agree. So let's uh, let's go ahead and end with one of my favorite questions. And so we're we're all in it for the players, and you can definitely tell that just by listening to you speak for the last fifty minutes about you know I, I can mention countless times that you've mentioned you know how important it is for your players to do all of these different things. But what's something that you guys do in practice, or something that you guys do with your program that if you went up and asked uh, little Johnny. Hey, what's something that we do in this program that you love? You know, what would some of their answer, some of their answers be? Well, if you ask the hitters, it's taking BP every day, which, uh, <laughs> which is, is pretty generic, yeah. you know. But um, I would have to say, and I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier, and we, we I was talking about that 80-20 exercise that we do. Uh, I think it's very unique. I don't think a lot of people do it. Actually, I don't know of anybody else that does it. And, uh, the kids always ask the ones that were there the year before always ask, when are we going to do an 80, 20? And, and, you know, we'll do it. We'll do it twice a year. We've used it at some points during a year where we just weren't going in the right direction. And we felt like we needed to like, kind of get some stuff off our chest and, and open the mic up to see which guys, you know, could help us as coaches kind of figure out which direction the team was going in. Hopefully we could help redirect it. So, um, the 80, 20 is a big thing for us. We, we, our kids always look forward to doing that. They never know when we're going to do it, but you know, I would say if, if you asked our kids, like, what are you looking forward to during the year? What's something different that you guys just have never had anywhere else? I, I, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of them are going to say that. And it's, I did it with, I did it with our, I, I was fortunate to be a assistant coach on our 17, uh, 2017, 15 U USA national team that we took over to Columbia and we pick a team three days of practice. Then we fly over to Columbia to complete for, uh, compete for a gold medal. So the very first day after we picked the team, I did an 80, 20 with those guys. And, uh, it was awesome. And I still get kids from that team text me like, Hey, have you guys done the 80, 20 this year? Cause they know it's part of my, what we do. And so it's pretty neat. I, I long drawn out answer, but I would have to say that our pitching coach, Tim McNabb brought over that 80, 20 exercise that our kids really do look forward to that because I think it's, it's one of those moments that really helps bring everybody together and memorable where you don't forget a lot of the things that are said during that, that exercise. Definitely. And, and I love that. And so, you know, for any of the listeners who would like to get in touch with you just to, you know, maybe pick your brain about anything that we've talked about today or just talk some shop, what would be the best way to do that? Um, you can, e- I mean, uh, you can email me. Uh, my email is troy.cameron at aquinas-sta.org. That's my school address at the, at the, at the high school. I don't, I don't teach there. I just coach, but thankfully they gave me an email address. You can reach me there. You know, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all those things. A lot of times I'm on those things like searching and seeing what my kids are doing, making sure they're staying out of trouble because, uh, unfortunately kids can be kids some days and put stuff up on social media that they don't realize could have a lasting effect. And I like to try to help monitor that too. But yeah, I'm on Walwood or 
Twitter handle for, for our baseball team is STA underscore baseball. And then I have my own personal, which I think is TM cam seven, I believe is, is my Twitter. So yeah, I'd be more than happy and, and honored if, if anybody ever had any questions and I would love to hopefully give them an answer that might help them. Cool. And I will make sure I link all of those down in the show notes. Well, Troy, I appreciate your time and, and I loved our conversation, but I want to open up the mic for you and ask, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I love stuff like this. I love these podcasts. Uh, that I, I love going back and listening to other people that were on them. I, I can't stress enough. If you're, if you're a baseball guy and, and, and you love baseball, take advantage of every opportunity to learn something else from somebody. Everything I do is not unique to our program. I stole it from somebody else. So um, I always look forward to going back, listening to more of your podcast that you do uh, with Ahead of the Curve. And, and I look forward to learning. So I would love to challenge everybody out there to continue learning and, and let's, let's help grow you know, baseball and get the amateur state of baseball in a little bit better place than it is right now. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.